read the Holy Scriptures together in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 36 is where we begin. The first part of this chapter records some of the history of the resurrection of our Lord. Verse 36 is still Easter Sunday, the day Jesus arose. and We begin our reading there at verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things." And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And these last four verses are the text for the sermon tonight. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them, and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, tonight we commemorate the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. And the Holy Scriptures testify that the event that we are commemorating tonight really happened. We read of that event in the text in verse 51. 
And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. We read about this too in Acts chapter 1 verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. We are commemorating a real event, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ from this earth up into heaven tonight. The ascension is more significant of an event than perhaps we realize. We all recognize the great significance of the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which we commemorate on Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. But perhaps we do not always remember the great significance of his ascension into heaven, which is what we are commemorating tonight. Just how significant was the ascension of our Lord into heaven? Well, listen to these scriptures. Philippians 2 verse 9 tells us that it was a moment when God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. In Hebrews 2 verse 7, we learn that the ascension was a moment when God crowned him with glory and honor and set all things under his feet. In Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, we learn that the ascension was a moment when God set him at his right hand far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named in this world and in the world to come. Truly, this must be a very significant event. And truly, it is a very comforting event for us as Christians. So let's consider together the ascension under the theme, Jesus carried up into heaven. Let's notice, first of all, the glorious event. Secondly, the continual blessing. And finally, the joyful worship. The scriptures testify to us that after his resurrection from the dead, our Lord Jesus appeared unto many different people in a number of different places in Judea and Galilee for 40 days. After that period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to his 11 disciples one more time in Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem and he appeared to them again in Jerusalem. That is not clear from the passage that we read, which seems to teach that Jesus appeared and ascended immediately on the very day of his resurrection. But Luke doesn't tell us about some of the intervening events. Jesus appeared for 40 days to different people in different places, and then he appeared to his 11 disciples one more time in Jerusalem. At that time, his last appearance to them, he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. 
He was referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was going to happen in ten days. But then Jesus led the disciples out of Jerusalem, out of the eastern gate of the city, into the Mount of Olives, and the text says he led them even as far as Bethany. Bethany was a small town to the east of Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And we are told that when they came into the Mount of Olives, it came to pass that he was parted from them. The text, when it says he was parted from them, means, first of all, that Jesus stepped aside, he stepped away from them, and put some distance between himself and the disciples there on the mount. Then, it also means that he departed from them. He went away so that they did not see him anymore. Now, Jesus had told his disciples already that this time was going to come. He told them about this on the night in which he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, when they were in the upper room, the night of the last Passover. Maybe you recall in John 14 through 16, in that upper room discourse, Jesus told his disciples that now is the time for me to go back to him who sent me. And then he also said this in John 14, verses 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And we're told that in these many references that he made to the fact that he was going to go away, he was going to go back to the Father who sent him into the world, sorrow filled their hearts. But now the time had come. Many things had happened between that night and this day. But now the time had come. They were on the Mount of Olives. And we're told that he was parted from them. He stood apart from them and he departed. The idea is that he stepped out of this world. He stepped away from the disciples so that they did not see him anymore and they would not see him anymore in this world. Where did he go? The text tells us where he went. God tells us where he went. And there would really be no way for us to know where Jesus is or where Jesus went if God didn't tell us in these scriptures, but he tells us. He says that when he was parted from them, he was carried up into heaven. Notice that the text says he was carried up into heaven. The idea there is that God carried him up. God lifted Jesus up from the ground of the Mount of Olives and lifted him up into the air in the eyes of his watching disciples. He lifted him up higher and higher into that space above the mountain. He carried him up higher and higher into the blue sky above their heads. That great big firmament that God created in the beginning. God kept lifting him up higher and higher into the heavens 
which declare the glory of God, that firmament which showeth his handiwork from day to night, day to day, and from night to night. And then suddenly, as God was lifting Jesus up before their eyes higher and higher, he brought in a cloud. And he caused that cloud to come under Jesus' feet. Now that cloud was a symbol. The cloud in Scripture is often a symbol pointing to the presence of Jehovah. The presence of the God of Israel. The cloud, the Shekinah, filled the tabernacle when Moses erected it in the wilderness. The cloud filled the temple when Solomon built it in Jerusalem. And that beautiful, bright cloud was a picture of the presence of God himself filling the temple and making it his abode. The cloud was a symbol of the heavenly glory and majesty of Jehovah of hosts. And now God, who is carrying Jesus up, brings that cloud under his feet and continues to carry him up, 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 above the clouds, above the sun, moon, and stars, above the highest heavens that we can see with the naked eye, into the very highest of all the heavens, what the scripture calls the third heaven, the place which is known as the throne of God. And God brought him up into that heavenly place before his throne, where he is surrounded by angels and saints, innumerable. God set him down at his right hand, and that's where he sits. We cannot really imagine how glorious this event was. We can hardly conceive in our minds how significant this event was. What actually happened when Jesus crossed over from the visible world into the invisible heaven. What did Jesus see and what did Jesus experience as he entered into the presence of God and stood before the throne of the majesty on high and sat down at God's right hand? That is among those things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And yet God does give us a glimpse of that too in the scriptures. And maybe it was so that when Jesus entered into heaven, he heard the voice of many angels, the voice of thousands upon thousands of the hosts of heaven shouting the words of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord Jesus was the one who was mighty in battle, strong to wage war against Satan and sin, death and hell through the blood of his cross. He won the victory and now he enters up into glory and perhaps he heard the voice of the angels saying, lift up your heads, O ye gates. And let him in. And he went through those gates of the heavenly Jerusalem and entered into the presence of God. Maybe he heard a multitude of the host of heaven clapping their hands 
in jubilation and shouting for joy the words of Psalm 47. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Maybe when Jesus entered into glory, he heard the voice of one of the great cherubs of heaven saying the words of Psalm 68. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, and hast received gifts for men. All of these psalms pointed to Jesus. And don't forget what Jesus said to his disciples on that night when he arose from the dead. In verse 44, This is what I said to you before, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the psalms concerning me. Those psalms were written concerning me, and those things must be fulfilled. And so I think when Jesus arrived in heavenly glory, he heard the voice of many angels and many saints fulfilling those psalms and giving glory and praise to him. God inspired those psalmists to write those psalms as prophecies of the glorious ascension of Jesus, that Christ must needs first suffer for our sins and then enter into his glory through the shouts of all the inhabitants of heaven. God, who prophesied it in the psalms, now fulfills it by carrying his Son up into heaven, Jesus, who suffered on that cross for our sins, who laid down his life for us, now God carried him up into heaven to glorify him and set him at his own right hand. And now the apostles tell us what happened when they say that God gave to him a name above every name, so that now at this name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. And that God crowned him with glory and honor and set all things under his feet. God set him at his right hand, far above all principalities and powers and all names in this world and the world to come. And if all that is true, and it is, then we have nothing to fear in this world. We have nothing to fear as those who put our trust in this glorious, exalted, crowned Lord. We have nothing to fear in this changing world full of political and economic turmoil. This ever-changing world full of wars and reports of the possibility of wars nuclear wars, biological wars. We have nothing to fear in this world full of pandemics and other outbreaks and other calamities, this world of earthquakes, tsunamis, and floods, this world in which devastation seems to threaten us on every side. We have nothing to fear in this world of rapidly advancing technology at a most alarming rate and following closely in its wake a rapidly advancing iniquity, a rapidly abounding lawlessness in our culture and society, 
so that we as Christians more and more feel that we are compressed and pushed out of society. I say we have nothing to fear because we know who sits at the right hand of God. We know who was carried up into heaven. We know who was given the name above all names. We know who has given power over all things. We know who reigns over the universe. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he promised, he had to go away to prepare a place for us in our Father's house of many mansions. And when he has prepared that place for you and for me, then he will come for us so that we will be where he is. This occasion of Ascension Day is a time for us as believers to go outside and to look up into the sky, to look up again into that big, bright blue sky, and to remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus went up. He went up into that heaven and far beyond that heaven to the highest heaven. And there he is. And there he continues. And there he watches over us. Because of the ascension of our Lord, continual blessings flow down upon us from him. We read in the text that when Jesus led his disciples out as far as to Bethany, as they stood there on the Mount of Olives, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. He lifted up his hands, just like the minister does. In every worship service, in the opening and closing benedictions, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. He pronounced upon them a benediction. A benediction is a blessing. We know the benedictions. We hear them every Sunday. Grace, mercy, and peace be granted unto you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ his Son by the operation of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Those are a few of the benedictions in Scripture. Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them with that benediction. And when Jesus pronounced the blessing upon his disciples, he showed himself to be our great high priest. The benediction was the work of the high priest in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 9, verse 22, we read, Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. Aaron did that. Aaron was the first high priest. That was part of his work as the high priest. He lifted up his hand and blessed them. And that lifting up of the hand was a symbolic gesture. Because lifting up his hand, Aaron pointed to heaven, to God. 
as the overflowing fountain of all blessings. And at the same time, lifting up his hand, pointing to the source of that blessing, he also stretched out his hand upon the people, indicating that that blessing comes from God and falls upon you. God blesses you. That's the symbolism of that stretched out hand. And now Jesus does that, lifting up his hands as well, toward God in heaven, the source of that blessing, and stretching out his hands over the disciples, that blessing fall upon you. It comes from God. And I give it to you. There was a difference between those Old Testament high priests and Jesus. And there's a difference between Jesus and the ministers of the gospel in the New Testament who pronounced the benediction. And one of those differences is this. The high priests of old and the ministers of today, although they can lift up their hands and pronounce a benediction, they are completely incapable of giving the contents of that blessing to God's people. But Jesus is capable of that. When Jesus lifted up his hands and pronounced the blessing upon his disciples, he did that with power. He has the power to give us what he pronounces to us. Because he himself merited that blessing by laying down his life for us on the cross, by giving himself as a sacrifice of atonement, shedding his blood, he merited the blessing of grace, mercy, and peace. And now he not only pronounces that blessing, but he also pours it out upon us. As we read in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That's an astounding thing. It's astounding because we deserve to be cursed. The opposite of a blessing is a cursing. And what we deserve is a cursing. We deserve for God to pronounce his curse and to send us into everlasting destruction. And so it's astounding that Jesus blesses us. And he blesses us again because he took that curse upon himself. The cross was a symbol of the curse. And he suffered on the cross as a symbol that he suffered the curse for us so that we would never be cursed. We can never be cursed. We can only be blessed. Jesus, who has ascended up into heaven, blesses us. From his lofty position at the right hand of God, being given all power and authority and possessing the riches of salvation, He showers them down upon us like an abundant rainstorm, a refreshing rain upon our hungry and thirsty souls. He blesses us with life. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, he makes alive. 
We who are bound in chains of iron and woe, he liberates and gives us freedom. We who are lost in the darkness of unbelief, he gives the light of faith and hope. We who are guilty in our sins, he gives the comfort of justification by faith. We who are ungodly by nature, he gives the joy of sanctification, delivering us from our sins, delivering us from wicked ways, and enabling us to walk in love and good works. We who would fall away from grace in an instant if left to ourselves, he showers upon us the blessing of the preservation of the saints. And he preserves our feet from falling until at last he will bless us with glorification. He will give us eternal life. He will take us into the Father's house in heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven and he blesses us continually. Notice in the text, we read that he blessed them, but we also read, and it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried. He lifted up his hands and began to bless them, but then as God was lifting him up, up, up into heaven, he continued to bless them. He held his hands out that whole time. Even when the cloud came and lifted him up out of their sight, the last thing that they saw was Jesus on the cloud with his hands lifted up, blessing them. What a comfort that is. What a tremendous comfort. Sometimes we feel as if Jesus doesn't care about us. Jesus doesn't see us. Jesus doesn't know what we're going through. Sometimes we feel as if Jesus is far, far away and has nothing to do with us. But it's not true. Even in our darkest moments, when we feel the greatest anxiety or sorrow or fear or sadness, when the only thing that we can seem to see and feel is the pressures and the burdens of our afflictions, then we should lift up our heads by faith. And by faith, pierce through the clouds and see Jesus there at the right hand of God with his hands still stretched out, blessing us. Continually blessing us. We might wonder sometimes where he is in the midst of trials and troubles and afflictions. But sometimes his blessings come in the form of trials, sometimes they come in the form of storms, sometimes those refreshing raindrops of his blessings come down upon us in a torrent like a thunderous rainstorm. But each one of those drops of rain, each one of those afflictions is a blessing. 
because through them, he strengthens our faith. He loosens the grip of this world on our hearts. He directs our hope up to heaven. He gives us patience in infirmities. And so we can respond with joyful and thankful worship. We notice finally the response of the disciples. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Notice three things. The first response of the disciples after those two angels appeared to them. Remember, they were gazing up into the heaven after Jesus had already disappeared. They were still gazing up into the heaven and two angels appeared and said, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up to heaven? This same Jesus who has departed will come just as he has gone. And then the angels disappeared. And immediately after that, they fell down on their knees and worshipped. Right there on the mount, they fell on their knees and worshipped. The king of kings. You see, they were filled with sudden understanding like they had never had before. Understanding of what kind of a king Jesus is. Up till that moment, they still didn't have that understanding. Before Jesus went up into heaven, they asked him, Lord, will this be the time when you finally establish the kingdom in Israel? And they met here on earth. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times. And then he ascended. And then, at last, it dawned upon them what it meant when Jesus said, my kingdom is a kingdom of heaven. And I am not an earthly king. I didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. I didn't come to give you earthly greatness or earthly power or earthly riches or earthly pleasure. I'm going up into heaven and you're going to come with me someday. They finally understood. And they fell down and worshipped as they realized this Jesus whom they had been following, who died and rose and has just been lifted up before our eyes, is the ruler of the heavens and the earth, the Son of God himself, the glorious Lord of lords, who reigns now up there over all things. One of those apostles, John, much later in his life, when he would be exiled to the island of Patmos, would see a vision in which he would come to see that when they fell down and worshipped on that mountain that day, there was a mirror activity going on up in heaven. The vision that John saw was in Revelation 4 and 5. And what John saw was all of the hosts of heaven falling down upon their knees and worshiping Jesus. 
and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power and dominion be unto the Lamb and unto him who sits upon the throne forever and ever. Worship. Is your heart also filled with reverence and adoration and the desire to worship Christ? In the second place, the response of the apostles was that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They got up off their knees, they walked back into the city with joy. Remember, I said that when Jesus told them that he had to go away, their hearts were filled with sorrow. They didn't want him to go away. They couldn't imagine that it would be better for him to go away. But now he's gone away, and they're filled with joy. Again, because now it finally dawned upon them what it meant for him to go away. It didn't mean that he was forsaking them. It didn't mean that he didn't care about them. It didn't mean they were never going to see him again. It meant that he was exalted in glory and that they too would be exalted one day. So they rejoiced as they understood more deeply than ever before the essence of the gospel of Christ. And they became eager in their joy to go back to Jerusalem and to begin the great task that he had given to them to preach that gospel in all the world as a witness in all nations. So I ask you, is your heart also filled with joy as you hear the good news of the ascension of Jesus, your Savior and mine? Happiness is something that ebbs and flows in life. It comes and it goes. Because happiness if what we mean by that is earthly happiness, is totally dependent upon our circumstances. When things go well for us, we're happy. When we lose a loved one, we're sad. But the joy spoken of in the text is a joy that is steady and constant throughout life, a fruit of the Spirit, a gift of God, arising out of faith and the knowledge that we serve a living and exalted Savior. Finally, the third response of the apostles, verse 53, they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. This time, they did not return to their fishing nets. After the resurrection, you might remember, a few of them went back to Galilee and went back to their nets and began fishing again. But not this time. This time it was clear what their job was going forward. The Great Commission to bring the gospel into all nations. And they were eager to do it. So they went back to Jerusalem and they obeyed the command of Christ to tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit, ten days hence. And they continued there in Jerusalem. They continued there, praising and blessing God. That idea of continuing in their blessing and praising of God is the idea of faithfulness. 
They faithfully continued in the service of Christ and the worship of God in the temple. And are you also resolved by the grace of God to continue praising and blessing the God of your salvation who has sent Christ into the world to save you? Are you resolved by the grace of God to continue faithfully going up into the temple of God, into the house of God, to worship him from Sunday to Sunday until he comes and takes you to dwell in the house of God up there and in the new heavens and the new earth where goodness and mercy will follow us for all eternity. Amen. Our gracious and merciful Father, we give thanks for the blessed gospel of the ascension of our Lord. We give thanks to thee for revealing to us in the scriptures these glorious things, which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. We give thanks for the promise that as our Lord has gone up, we too will go up. We will inherit eternal life. Grant unto us, Father, that we might respond with worship and joy and faithfulness in the service of our God and following of our Savior. In his name.